At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every basket, every game, every point, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a three-pointer at the buzzer to tie the game or a player that goes two for two at the foul line. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. Wednesday night edition of the Dunktown Basketball Podcast. Got two big games to get to in the playoff race. Golden State, a 22-point comeback. We're down 21-3 at one point, 15-0. They down the Spurs rather comfortably in the end. And then Milwaukee staves off a Boston comeback, 103-100. They win on the road, essentially wrapping up a playoff berth, according to the 538 odds. They're in the driver's seat now for the fifth seed in the East. Boston back into a tie now with Cleveland. Virtual tie, I guess in the race for the number one seed in the Eastern Conference. Before we get started, a reminder that we're sponsored today by a new sponsor, BetDSI, a top-rated business on sportsbook review sites. Uh, BetDSI is the largest sportsbook online. They've been in business over 20 years. You can get a free $25 credit just for registering and a 200% bonus with first-time deposits when you use the promo code DUNK25, D-U-N-C-25, different promo code this time. We'll tell you more about that. And then movement watches, mvmtwatches.com slash capspace will get you 15% off your order for an awesome watch. All right, uh, we did this game today, Danny, for the Twitter NBA show second screen. I really enjoyed doing that. that. It was a lot of fun. And now we want to provide with a little bit of hindsight, uh, some of our observations. What is the number one thing that you took away from this game? The issues that we saw last year about the Spurs having trouble scoring on the Warriors. They were not present in that first quarter, but they were sure as heck present after that. The Spurs only shot 40% from the field in the last three quarters. They did get to the line, and a lot of that was just structural, that they have a lot of guys who are going to struggle against the Warriors' defense when they're engaged. Yeah, that was one. I completely agree with you there. The other one that we saw was the Spurs' bigs not able to be effective against Steph Curry in pick and roll, uh, not able to help get out on screens against against Klay Thompson uh, on the wing for three-pointers. Aldridge, Gasol, David Lee, even Dwayne Dedman, a good rim protector, not this comfortable on the perimeter. And we also talked about how the Spurs might need to go small. Greg Popovich not willing to try that. And as a result, uh, the Warriors really, uh, other than that first quarter, completely dominated. This game was 33-17 after the first quarter. And then the Warriors... uh, outscored the Spurs by 28 points over the final three periods. It was a pretty remarkable performance for a lot of different ways. And and also a point you brought up on the, on the Twitter NBA show was the idea that, yeah, maybe this wasn't Stephen Curry's, you know, his finest hour in terms of his performance, but his effect on San Antonio's defense was very, very similar to what it was last year. Yeah, that's right. Because we talked about this on the show of how they're going to defend him. Well, they don't have the personnel to switch. And I thought Curry did a great job of driving past his man when it was Lee Aldridge or Gasol trying to switch out on him and actually getting into the teeth of the defense, forcing additional help, and then setting up other shooters. He, he did that on that uh, David West corner three-pointer that, that pretty much ended the proceedings. And so that basically leaves San Antonio. You can't go under the screen. You can't have the big layback because Steph will just hit a three. And so with that being the case, they've got to trap him. And it was much like it was in the 2015 finals down in that fourth quarter when it really got to winning time. It was a four on three for the Warriors nearly every time. And that was even without having Kevin Durant out there, who even if he's playing the Harrison Barnes role in that in that 2015 parallel is still really, really dangerous and is more dangerous than than Matt Barnes and a few of the other guys they can put in there. And another takeaway for me from this game is it was another sterling performance from Andre Guadalla. You do have to worry or wonder or whatever, worry if you're a warrior, if you're a Warriors aligned person, but just overall that he's putting a lot of strain on himself, you know, more than we've seen in the regular season. But he 
he was spectacular in this game. David West was excellent. And the Spurs, you know, they have a deep bench. They have a great bench. I thought Powell looked good for the most part, but their other bench guys didn't really sparkle. And they're going to need that, especially if Tony Parker struggles and if these teams face each other. Yeah, a few relevant stats here. Parker, 24 minutes, negative seven, despite being on the floor for that initial blitz 0 for 4 from the field two assists pretty miserable for him not even able to create shots uh, must much less finish them uh, they weren't guarding him at all a lot of the time he spent a lot of time chilling in the weak side corner and uh, having the help come off of him and then not being able to make them pay uh you mentioned Iguodala his stat line 30 minutes six of nine from the field two of three on threes and uh, two steals plus 17 in those 30 minutes 14 points for him and you know he, he's been shooting the lights out really on both the iso mid-range jumpers which he hit a bunch of tough ones right at the the, the key uh, stretch i thought of the whole game was his seven point run shortly after he entered at the end of the first quarter to really at least like get the warriors working and get them something that that was going on because right in the beginning they looked so ugly and it was just, would you agree, Draymond Green said after the game that they didn't feel like they were getting beaten that badly in as badly as the score indicated early on that there are just a few things to clean up did you feel that way or were they just like getting completely destroyed they were getting worked pretty hard I mean you could say that they were mistakes that could be corrected you know Draymond threw a, a series of bad passes during that time but the offense was really stagnant and the Spurs were getting offensive rebounds so if you want to say they had a few problems that that led to it sure but those problems were massive and frequent so I would say it's not a, it's not an easy fix but it is fixable and they did it during the game yeah it's had a very similar feel in the first quarter to that game in Oakland that started the year where the Spurs dominated on the offensive glass in the first half the Spurs got 50 percent of of all offensive rebounds and actually in the first quarter the Warriors had zero offensive rebounds and the Spurs got got 50 percent and they got a lot of threes off of those a lot of tip-ins from the likes of of Lee Gasol and Aldridge It, it was really big problems but I didn't think the Warriors initial defense was that bad when it wasn't an offensive rebound or it wasn't off one of their own turnovers and then they really started to force a lot of turnovers for the Spurs and the Spurs generally do a good job at taking care of the ball uh were not able to do so against Golden State Greg Popovich said after the game that the Warriors switching really bothered them they weren't able to get the type of ball movement that they like they don't have the spacing really you know they're a great percentage three-point shooting team but they don't shoot enough of those they went with two bigs the entire game and you know, Aldridge wasn't able to do anything in his few one-on-one post-ups on Draymond Green. Uh, and, and then I thought also a very underrated factor was the Warriors, aside from just a few dumb Matt Barnes fouls, defended Kawhi Leonard extremely well. Pro- about the best I've seen him defended this season, in fact. Did a nice job in terms of initial contest, but also taking away some of his more obvious passing lanes. I thought that, yeah, there, there were a lot of different ways that they did well, in a way paralleling, though in a very different way, James Harden. You know, in terms of not only taking away their own scoring offense but also taking away some of the other ways that they can contribute Kawhi's three-point shooting is becoming a little bit of a concern since that concussion uh he has not been shooting the three ball well I think he's now like oh for his last 14 on threes he was oh for five tonight and, and only got seven free throw attempts not that many uh compared to what he can get when he really has high usage and then they force him into five turnovers he's a, an extreme low turnover player in large part because he's able to just work to his spots and rise up and the Warriors made that really uncomfortable for him Draymond Green uh, in particular doesn't allow Kawhi to just knock him backwards and create space for a shot Andre Iguodala had him timed up for a nice steal at times so I guess the, the question I'll pose to you here is there anything positive that San Antonio could take away from this game at all? Well, they proved in that first quarter that if they make a concerted effort, they can do damage on the offensive glass. And that does two big things. One is it, of course, creates extra possessions, but it also could leverage Kerr into staying big longer. And I think that's a big advantage in some ways for the Spurs, just because if Pop isn't willing to go small, then the Warriors going small becomes a much bigger advantage. And I would say Pau Gasol in the first half did a pretty, even the first three quarters did a pretty good job but then once the Warriors realized that if they involved him in a pick and roll that Curry could just roast him that changed things but if maybe that was a little bit overselling it then they would look then he would look even better the other thing I would say too is that they really were bothering Golden State at the rim early in the game yes 
Uh, one, one for one for nine on their first on one for nine on their first nine shots in the restricted area, and some of those were some misses. Javale McGee missed a couple of dunks, some shots that he would normally make. Um, I agree with you, Gasol. I thought he played a nice offensive game, although you know his defense uh, became an increasing issue. Same thing with Lee. Same thing with Aldridge. Uh, and when they really were bottling up the Warriors defensively, is when they had Deadman in there, and Deadman. Uh, just was not able to be effective offensively he's just too much of a liability on the pick and roll and if he's going to play with parker and then you're also going to have another big out there who's not standing at the three-point line you know you can just kind of trap the ball handler pretty well that's what patchouli was doing i thought patchouli was excellent defensively in this game you know as far as his capabilities are concerned and deadman unless it's an alley-oop right at the rim and you 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 have to be able to get penetration and make the big come over to throw that alley-oop by bringing Pachulia up further they're kind of deterring that penetration from the ball handler and then they you can't deadman is not the kind of guy you can throw it to on a short roll at the free throw line and have him make a play not in the positive realm for the spurs but a stat that i think is important for telling the story of this game is that san antonio in the first quarter had an 11-0 advantage on points off turnovers they also had a eight an eight to two advantage on fast break points that eight that 11-0 margin at the end of the game was 23-22. So they had that huge burst. It ended up being that, and the Warriors basically completely covered up that gap by the end of the game. Yeah, and once Golden State started hitting their threes, they were 13 out of 26 on threes. San Antonio still shot a nice percentage, 9 out of 24. Danny Green was was 4 out of 6, the the main guy there. But I thought that when the Warriors started hitting some threes in the second quarter, that's when it really began to open up some of their drives to the rim. And Steph Curry had quite a few uncontested drives once he was able to get the bigs out on the floor. Uh, Clay Thompson's three-point shooting as well was very important in that regard. Um, I mean, I guess to me, the only hope for san antonio after this and and, and again you know he's, oh it's only one game and they beat them before yeah that was the first game of the year is a weird game but you know i think the warriors showed last year too i mean this is a pretty similar spurs team as last year maybe a little better offensively but you know probably a little worse defensively uh the warriors showed that they uh were really have these strengths and this was a, a game that just again confirmed these strengths that we thought existed were confirmed last year and now we're seeing it again so it's not just one game you know that that's making us say that the spurs have major problems against golden state to me the biggest silver lining if it can be called that is the spurs didn't go to what i think their best strategy was against golden state uh and that is going small with Kawhi at the four but you know are they ever going to do that they almost never practice that during the season they don't spread the floor that much uh so you know it's really tough I think remember that in that first game of the year Jonathan Simmons played the best game I can remember him playing in the NBA he functionally oh, yeah, got a D- he, he functionally got a DNP CD tonight he did technically play 52 seconds but think about how different that is from a guy a guy doing that and by what I can tell he's healthy so if he has if he's at least temporarily but maybe longer than that out of their rotation then he is this one of the centerpieces of the idea of of Kawhi playing the four because otherwise you're getting into some weird matchups and you have to put in you know who are the other wings that they're going to throw in there so they have a, a real challenge here the other idea that i've floated for the spurs for i think three years now is the idea of playing danny green and manu as their two guards and they basically never do that and that's another solution they have but yeah. when they don't do it at all then i i can't have any faith that they're going to do it in the playoffs yeah and manu really struggled at the start of the fourth quarter guarding clay thompson that was a, a yes. big issue and that 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 we you know we made a list on the twitter nba show of, of a number of categories we wanted to watch before the game kind of questions that we were hoping to have answered and one of those i think we can talk about all of them here is what would happen in the beginning of the second and fourth quarters a time when golden state has curry out of the game they largely struggle during the those periods well i shouldn't say largely struggle but they've been known to uh and then the spurs will bring their starters back pretty early during that time the spurs have by far the best bench net rating in the league and that that was actually where the game was lost for the spurs was during those two times yeah that that's happened a couple times during this run i think that was was that memphis that that was also true where the warriors were kind of a little bit flat at the beginning and then that second unit really made the push and san antonio is the their bench is their strength and their starters against the warriors bench should definitely be a strength and clay thompson had some nice points during that during that time a couple other guys did too and they have to press those advantages when they have them and i thought that ian clark you know it wasn't his best game there were some weird kind of sloppy plays but i thought that him holding his own in those minutes is pretty significant moving forward 
Yeah, his chemistry with David West, of course, is excellent. And, and West was fantastic. If we haven't talked about it yet, seven of eleven from the field, uh, and and five big assists, two block shots, uh, and then Thompson, for his part, uh, was on fire from mid range, twenty three points on. 16 shooting possessions for him and only one free throw um all right we'll talk a little bit more about this game some of the other things that we tracked coming in but first this from our new sponsor bet dsi march madness is finally underway there's no better place to bet on games than bet dsi if that's what you're into they are the top rated uh on sportsbook review sites and they're the largest sportsbook online they've been in business for over 20 years uh, they also have live in-game wagering, which is uh, a way to make plays throughout entire games, get some uh, instant results while they're live and running. And you can bet on the go with BetDSI mobile betting as well. Their reputation is being completely dependable. You can count on them to repay you your winnings fast. They also have great customer service available 24-7, 365 days a year. In honor of March Madness, BetDSI is having a million-dollar bracket contest for our listeners. Entry is free, and because completing a perfect bracket is close to impossible, they're offering prizes for the best overall March Madness brackets as well. Uh, best of all, with BetDSI, you can get a free $25 credit just for registering, and you can get a 200% bonus with first-time deposits when you use the promo code DUNK25. New promo code this time. They uh, like this 25 to represent the $25 credit you get for registering. That 200% bonus means you put in whatever you put in, and then they will put in double that into your account on your first-time deposit uh, using that promo code DUNK, D-U-N-C, 25 at BetDSI.com. So here's another thing that, that we talked about here that we haven't hit on yet. How much switching the Spurs tried to do. Uh, they In the game that they did win against Golden State last year, a game that Andre Iguodala didn't play in, in San Antonio, they basically switched everything. And they had, whether it was Aldridge, Tim Duncan didn't start that game, uh, which was pretty surprising. And they didn't really go to that in this game especially when the center was involved when it was lamarcus he actually did okay switching out on the perimeter he was pretty engaged in that respect but still you know he's a little bit too upright to really guard one-on-one someone like curry and so i mean i think that would probably be the most demoralizing thing for san antonio was all right they might struggle to score against golden state but you hope that this best defense in the league could slow them down and instead you know golden state had it in this game 110 points on 90 possessions which is a 122.2 offensive rating and that was with you know a a lot of the game played at the spurs pace with the 90 possessions something else in terms of offense that i thought was interesting when i was going through some of the ancillary stats that the nba has on their many box score variants is that every warrior all but three warriors excluding the guys when we played the last minute had a screen assist so they were getting they were getting movement they were getting activity from a lot of different guys like even ian clark had a screen assist in this game yeah and and when there was switching going on the warriors are starting to get better at at dealing with that as well there is one play in particular where curry got fouled on a three in the left corner where Sean Livingston was setting a screen for him, he knew the switch was coming, and rather than screening Curry's man, Mills screened his own man, Manu Ginobili, so he couldn't get out there. Mills was late on the closeout, ended up fouling Curry. Those are the sorts of little tricks that the Warriors have picked up now over the years, this third year of facing some of these switching defenses. Yeah, that really, as I recall, it really did start with the Spurs in many ways with that that first series. They did a lot of trapping in 2013 as well. Another thing that the Warriors were effective at as well, when the Spurs did switch was they're actually able to be pretty effective in the post uh draymond green had a nice bully post-up movies looked better at those lately uh, david west had a couple of nice deep post-ups on danny green the second time they had to double and that that set up a three for the warriors as well uh so that was definitely encouraging for golden state too that they're able to and, and you know and once kevin durant comes back it'll be even better you would think i mean that's that's got to be another demoralizing thing for the spurs was just that hey you know this is this warriors didn't even have their second best guy you know a top five player in the league and and still just the spurs were not really able to compete and it was it wasn't just a, a question of like the spurs missing shots like i thought this was a lot of things went about as right as they could for the spurs that lead the offensive rebounding and still you know as it turned out eventually i mean i thought this game probably could have been even more of a blowout than it was ultimately given the distribution of the talent well yeah especially considering the way it started i mean if that if that quarter was close to even i mean maybe they don't have the urgency to defend in the way that they ended up doing 
thing. But but yeah, I mean, it could have it could have gone even even gone gotten even rougher for them. And also, I think we should talk a little bit about what this means for the Western Conference playoff picture. This puts the Warriors three and a half games ahead of the Spurs. Basically, kind of moves them into a, a firm grasp of the number one over of the number one overall seed, and that might have some spillover effects in terms of Greg Popovich being more open to resting his guys and maybe Steve Kerr being open to resting his because they can do that. And you could argue that knowing it now, I mean, if you're going to make the assumption that the Warriors were going to probably end up there anyway, that knowing now might end up having some benefits for both teams just because they can they don't have to go as zealously for it. But I mean, I'm sure the Spurs still want still wanted the number one. I mean, they would have been one and a half away if they'd won this game. Yeah, so nine straight now for Golden State after resting in, in that San Antonio game. So uh, yeah, it looks like that was a smart move uh, by Steve Kerr. It, it, it's looking that way. And with only seven games to play that three and a half game lead, insurmountable 538 has it as uh, greater than 99% chance that the Warriors now will take the number one seed, despite the fact that the Spurs have the tiebreaker. And actually... Because the Warriors might have gotten the number one seed even had they lost today. I would say the biggest winner is probably the Utah Jazz tonight because they play San Antonio twice and Golden State once in the remaining games. And now with those two teams having nothing to play for, they could actually have a shot in those games. Yeah, that could swing home court in the 4-5 series, maybe. Absolutely, it could. Uh, Also, we should probably note that Steph Curry has now outplayed James Harden, Russell Westbrook, and Kawhi Leonard, three guys ahead of him in the MVP race over this last week. Yeah, that's true. Maybe maybe people shouldn't have gotten so up in arms about when we did the top 10 rankings and we both put both of them above two of those three guys. All right. Uh, I think that's probably enough on this one. Uh, let's talk a little... Milwaukee and Boston. We were able to catch the first half of this one while we we're waiting for Golden State and San Antonio to start. Then I was able to catch up on the second half uh, while you were driving home. Uh, this one, a huge win for Milwaukee. How does that affect uh, both their playoff picture and Boston's? So the the biggest thing for Milwaukee that this does is that it it firms up their spot in the in the playoffs themselves. So right now they're at thirty nine and thirty six, which is tied with the Atlanta Hawks and puts them three games ahead in both in the loss column and then four ahead in the win column of the Bulls who are the current nine seeds. So that's a big margin to make up, which is why 538 gives them a greater than 99% chance of making it into the playoffs, projects them to have 43 wins. For the Celtics, I mean, it really does depend on how you see the rest of their schedule. So 538 still has them being projected ahead of the Cavs. I think some of that is is heavily skeptical of, the, of Cleveland. They think they're going to go five and four the rest of the way. So yeah, we're going to have to see. I think what the the biggest thing that this does is it makes the remaining Boston-Cleveland game that much more important. Yeah, when is that game? It is Wednesday, April 5th in Boston. Ooh, maybe I should bring my equipment and we can do like a twitter nba show on the road from uh although you know what the internet connection in the hotel is probably gonna be too too unreliable for it we'll, yeah, we'll see maybe don't we can we don't, yeah. give it a shot it'd be fun though we could even do it from no, the no, phone <laughs> Uh, So the big star in this one down the stretch, Malcolm Brogdon, 16 points, nine assists. And over the last few minutes, it was tied at 93. And Brogdon either scored or assisted on the last 10 bucks points, culminating in a completely ridiculous fadeaway with four seconds left uh, over I think it was Marcus Smart from uh, the right wing uh, to put Milwaukee up three and then uh, a desperation three by the Celtics fell short, although Marcus Smart actually had it deflect to him. He had an open three and in true Marcus Smart fashion, rather than just go up for an open three-pointer he felt like someone was running behind him and tried to like lean back into the guy and throw up a double pump which of course airballed when there was no contact at all oh marcus smart but yeah i i I think that what i don't know how this game made me feel about it looks increasingly unlikely that it'll happen but how i would feel about a prospective playoff series between these two teams yeah that does seem unlikely uh i think that the bucks athleticism the force that some of those guys can play with bothered boston uh that's something that really and i think that toronto actually can provide a little bit of that as well but Giannis, of course is someone who you know is really no one in the league has anyone like him and i thought even brogdon you know his strength chris middleton you know the bucks are larger than the celtics at every position and that's uh that could be a problem for the celtics against a lot of teams uh, but the bucks in particular because not only are they bigger but they all those guys are so quick too you know so really the 
the Bucks have that advantage. And uh, yeah, I would not want to play uh, the Milwaukee Bucks if I were Boston. Middleton was fantastic in the first half. I thought that he was doing a nice job of defending zealously without committing fouls. And then he also was, when he was getting to his places and getting his shots, they were, they were for the most part going in. And he, I'm so disappointed that we didn't get to see this team at full strength, though hopefully we will in the future. But Middleton has been such a welcome addition at, at a position of need, and they've been able to kind of piece it together, you know, play, playing Giannis more with other wings and doing other things to make it work without Jabari. This is somewhat ancillary to the main story, and we'll get to some of the plays down the stretch. But Thon Maker had a very nice run at the start of the third quarter. I know he's someone who has great intrigue for a lot of Bucks fans in particular. We, we'd kind of been making fun of Kid for giving him the Keith Bogans, but Thon actually earned his, his minutes in this one. He had a number of plays with multiple efforts defensively where he would help on a drive from one side it would get kicked out the guy would blow past the closeout on the other side Don would get over there contest the shot he had a nice double block of Avery Bradley on a drive uh really very impressive his shot blocking was a little bit better getting his body in front of guys uh so i I really continue to be impressed with his intelligence level how hard he plays the the speed with which he's able to move his feet all very impressive for him defensively he had actually uh, the first nice like iso drive that i've seen from in a late clock situation he was able to blow by amir johnson for a nice uh, right-handed hook off the glass from the top of the key and well, I do think especially given how thin he is right now and not having a body type that can gain a lot of strength, most likely, that his defensive rebounding could be a little bit of a problem. His post defense against the biggest centers could be a little bit of a problem. I mean, this team could be, even if Jabari, you know, never really comes back to be a main player for them. Thon, Giannis, Brogdon at the one, Chris Middleton, Tony Snell, like that, that is a nasty defensive unit that they will eventually be able to put together in Milwaukee. And they can throw their remaining resources at a smaller number of things. You know, they they still should, and we'll have to figure out, I mean, Greg Monroe is kind of one of the elephants in the room now because they have to figure out what they want to do with him. I thought that he he overall did a pretty good job in this game and, you know, maybe he'll opt out, maybe he won't, but... Yeah, a be- pretty good job understates it to me. I mean, he had... 16 points, three assists, uh, only nine shooting possessions, or I'm sorry, 11 shooting possessions. He got to the free throw line a little bit. Did have four turnovers, but uh, his knack just for finding space, this was a game where he was able to eat uh, and in fact was doing so well. He just completely dominated Kelly Olenek in this one. And we had talked about when Boston beat Golden State there that Olenek was such a key, but he is really, really inconsistent. And this was one of those games. He only played seven minutes. In and was negative 16 in those seven minutes, just was getting dominated inside. Again, another one of these players who doesn't play with a ton of force. Tyler Zeller also falls into that category. They had to go to him for a time, and he actually was okay uh, for most of it. But uh, Jalen Brown, also not one of his better games. He was negative 21 in 13 minutes as well. Uh, really, it was the Celtics bench uh, that lost them this one when Isaiah Thomas was out of the game a key stretch at the start of the fourth quarter saw Milwaukee break out to an eight-point lead and the Celtics were never able to take the lead again although they were able to tie it at one point Boston also got 15 offensive rebounds 15 to 7 was the margin and Marcus Smart got five of those which is awfully impressive yeah less impressive however four of 15 from the field one of seven <laughs> yeah on threes uh and then and four turnovers five fouls uh for although he did have 11 points and we'd be loath uh, remiss I should say not to mention Isaiah Thomas with another ridiculous game plus 16 in a game that his team lost by three 32 points in 37 minutes nine of 17 from the field nine of nine from the line and five of nine from three so that's a 32 points on only 21 shooting possessions ridiculous efficiency for Isaiah once again this isn't one of my like like big question points here but so you know now it looks like the Bucks are going to make the playoffs just off the top of your head after watching this game who do you think of that top four they should want to face and who do you think they should not want to face well the answer is Toronto because we don't know what kind of shape Kyle Lowry is going to be in yeah and they don't have a I mean unless Damari Carroll is get jumps in a time machine three years they don't really have a great guy to defend Giannis oh PJ oh no PJ PJ, PJ Tucker. You think PJ yeah. can do it? He can do oh, it in the half he, court. 
he he actually is just about the exact guy I would want on Giannis because he's because he's so got quick enough feet quick enough feet to stay in front low base Giannis will not be able to back down on him at all uh I mean Giannis will be able to shoot over the top of him but Tucker can really get into his airspace I, I actually think that's a pretty darn good matchup for I mean there's not many great matchups for Giannis but he's still not like a ridiculous one-on-one player a lot of it's transition you know they're not going to go to him in isolation situations in fact at the end of this game getting back to Brogdon's work it was some Middleton, but mostly Brogdon running pick and roll and, and doing so quite effectively as it turned out. Uh, it was, uh, as I mentioned, 93 up and Brogdon then proceeded to get it stripped by Bradley got knocked into the backcourt and then Brogdon just went one-on-one against him just Avery Bradley is, is a tough guy Brogdon knocked him back hit a floater then Brogdon got a steal on a great rotation out to the corner on a switch uh and then he was able to finish that possession with another floater off a, a drive from Giannis on Nakumpo. then he had a sweet dime to Giannis cutting in from the corner as Jay Crowder completely blew it uh just let Giannis cut baseline and then fouled Giannis for for the and one uh Brogdon ran another pick and roll and set up Monroe after or, uh, he I mean Brogdon is just a man out there like he actually like knocked down Al Horford who was trying to slide with him and then just hit Monroe wide open under the basket uh and then of course that fadeaway that he hit at the end was also crazy uh Isaiah Thomas almost matched him and he was able to blow by Brogdon when they had three-point leads and Thomas was just trying to get to the rim and and Brogdon was playing kind of no threes defense uh but I thought he did okay on Thomas in in a one-on-one situation and uh Really just for, you know, I still think Joel Embiid should be the rookie of the year, as we'll talk about, I'm sure, next week in the awards pod. But uh, I think uh, Brogdon would probably be my number two guy at this point, just because of how much he's contributed to winning basketball. I mean, he's the starting point guard on a playoff team, a, a solid playoff team. And there's a difference between the type of minutes that he's providing and what Dario Sarge is doing for the Sixers. I mean, Sarge is a good story, but it's an entirely different role than Brogdon. And if we're talking about value added, I, I think that he's done it and I, I would say Brogdon has provided more over the course of the season because Sarge was just a small part of this team early on. I thought that Jason Kidd actually coached a nice game in this one. We've been critical of his rotations in the past as not making a lot of sense. I, I thought that he actually had Brad Stevens on his heels in part because Olenek was so bad, but he, he went with a lineup with Toledovich at center and Giannis at the four uh, when the Celtics went with some traditional bigs. The, the uh, I thought that went okay for a couple of minutes. And then the lineup he closed by is, I think, their best lineup. Brogdon, Snell, Middleton, Giannis, and Greg Monroe. So he, he didn't outsmart himself. It went with their best players. And, uh, you know, they were able to outplay Boston. The clutch Boston going with what is probably their best five, I would say. Thomas, Bradley, Smart at the three, Crowder at the four, and uh, Al Horford at five. It's so much fun to see teams. Teams that are willing to go small like that late in games not like yeah, I mean, not the, like I mean, those bucks, are but. yeah those are uh the celtics five best players right and, and absolutely same thing with the bucks so a uh, few other stats here milwaukee really did a ton of damage in the paint making 27 field goals in the paint 18 of those coming in the restricted area boston not a team that has a ton of shot block and then they got just enough from three-point range eight out of 22 you know good performance for this bucks team on the other hand boston 12 out of 37 on three Thomas and Horford uh, made eight of those 12, but smart. Uh, Jay Crowder, who had shot the, the three well this year, was 0 for 6, which was a, a problem for Boston as well. Anything else that you think is significant on this game? You watched the you watched the later part, which I didn't get to, but yeah, I I, I was I, I wanted to mention I was so encouraged by that Thon drive. I actually, that was a part I think we were setting up, and I just yelled yes, Thon, when he did that because he's going to need that part of his offensive game to to really reach that next level. And they're you know depending on how their rotations work out, he, he if he can do that, then it can be another you know another element to their offense. Not this year really, but next year. Yeah, I, I had a couple of other just uh, random notes here. One One of them is just that Chris Middleton is a really good player and his game reminds me actually a lot of Joe Johnson uh, when he was uh, maybe kind of like a, a Joe Johnson in his net stays but think of like a, a Joe Johnson who can defend uh you know he's not as dynamic off the dribble as Joe was you know in his early Hawks days but just that same kind of game patient work to a spot shoot over mismatches you know he was did really well when he was guarded by Avery Bradley you know if you get a switch on him he can go to work 
in the post doesn't shoot as many open threes as you would think you would like to see him be more aggressive about hunting those shots he was three out of three from three-point range and he's you know been a 40 percent three-point shooter just about these last few years but so good to see him back from that hamstring injury looks like the the same guy he was excellent defensively in this game as well so you know he he's not a heralded guy we kind of forgot about him as the bucks had that nice start when he was out uh but there was a reason that we said oh the bucks are gonna you know are by the way that that bet's officially dead right the the our best bet for them to be under 38 wins uh we can uh, we'll be doing the post-mortem on some of those stupid bets uh next week as well uh so that was one thing uh the bucks really had a lot of success just on some very simple actions at times where they would start usually middleton in the corner and then have whoever was Isaiah Thomas was guarding screen for Middleton to come into the lane. Thomas didn't want to switch that, and they actually just got some nice plays where Middleton or whoever it was coming in from the corner could get the ball going to the rim and then not a ton of rim protection on the Celtics team. Uh, Matthew Delvadova, the team did pretty well when he was in the game. He was plus 13, but it's always kind of funny to just watch him because he'll have two or three moments every game where he just throws a completely terrible turnover or just gets stripped as he tries to drive or you know throws up a floater that airballs or an alley-oop that just like goes 10 feet over the rim or gets blown by by a far quicker player in an isolation where he just doesn't look like an NBA player at all but you know overall I think he, he's an effective backup point guard and might be a little overpaid but at least you know the Bucks are getting a lot more money out of their backup point guards than maybe you know say Orlando is out of DJ Augustin um and and that's also yeah. how big it is that Brogdon has been able to step up immediately is that it's yeah. not the worst thing in the world if Delvadova is a backup point guard for them because they already have they they can play Brogdon yeah absolutely and Brogdon more capable of switching defensively his floater is you know a lot more reliable than Delvadova's he gets it off more quickly as well he can actually get to the basket and finish a layup or a dunk on occasion when he has the advantage so yeah Brogdon clearly a better player than Delvadova at this point probably also a better three-point shooter maybe not when wide open but Delia takes him forever to get a shot off so I think uh he's definitely Brogdon definitely better in that area uh Marcus Smart got into a little tussle with Giannis after Giannis blocked his shot twice Smart got knocked to the ground and then basically tried to just grab Giannis to prevent him from getting back in the play because he was pissed off that he got his shot blocked twice and ended up getting called for a flagrant foul Giannis only hit one of those two uh but it did also result in the Bucks getting the ball and uh, you know not a good play from Smart I mentioned that three at the end I mean he still needs to he plays hard and you know i think that's just part of what you get with smart and there's a lot of things to really like about his game but if he could chill out on some of that stuff i think he it could help him be a little bit more effective of a player because he's really kind of getting the boy who cried wolf syndrome on a lot of these at this point god i was thinking i was just thinking about his extension negotiations that's going to be super crazy yeah it, it will be uh, and uh, although maybe not because you know Boston's not going to have a chance to get cap space anymore um but it, it'll be interesting to see you know he he has had a lot of growth this year basically running point for the second unit running pick and rolls his passing has really improved a lot over the last couple of years had a couple of nice finishes but overall still kind of kind of a crappy finisher um another key set of plays were just two terrible charges on smart and crowder in that stretch early in the fourth quarter monroe was in the restricted area on one delhi just was stepped up uh crowder stepped to his left to avoid him and del vadova moved after crowder had already gathered it and they still called an offensive foul that that was absolutely horrible um um, all right, I think I've done it uh, on this one, uh, and uh, we can make some more money here by telling you about a familiar sponsor, Movement Watches. I actually have my beautiful Movement Watch in front of me, the Voyager Slate. I also have the Gunmetal Sandstone, which I really enjoy. It's got like a beautiful face on it with turquoise gauges, one of my favorite colors. I used to own a car in that color, actually. My girlfriend has one as well. We were actually at lunch today and she pointed out this kind of gaudy watch that another one was wearing. I was like, hey, you know, I, I wouldn't get that. Like I loved like the minimal style of the movement watch that you got me. I bought one for my mom for the holidays. She actually bought one for my niece. We're all really big fans of movement watches. You can get started with them at movementwatches.com slash capspace. That's mvmtwatches.com slash capspace that url easy to remember because we talk about it all the time on the program 
And best of all, movement watches start at just $95. Plus you get a discount with that slash cap space URL of 15%. So that's movement watches, mvmtwatches.com slash cap space. Also, if you're an international listener looking to support the show, which we really appreciate, movement watches ships to over 160 countries. So once again, movement watches, mvmtwatches.com slash cap space. Join the movement. Well, let's do uh, some four random questions here. I'll start off with one for you since I've been been doing a lot of the talking and i need to drink a little bit of water while you talk uh are the milwaukee bucks the fifth best team in the eastern conference they are now in the fifth seed and if you really had to line up their quality do you think that they would win a playoff series against any of those teams below them okay so i'll I'll say that we'll throw out everyone bulls and below so then that means we're looking at the pacers the heat the hawks and the bucks I think we could throw the Bulls into. They're still in contention. They might. Okay. Make it. Well, I'll, then I'll I'll throw the Bulls out by saying the Bucks are better than the Bulls. So I'll I'll, I'll say that, I'll say that right now. Yeah. Then you have so you have the Pacers, the Heat, and the Hawks. I could see all of those being good series. I worry a lot about the Hawks' offense. Granted, we're getting this nasty sample right now without Paul Millsap. And if we're going to do this for the sake of yeah. discussion, I think the, you have the to Hawks assume- did at least uh, right the ship against uh, the Phoenix Tankers last night, and then uh, did win on the road at philly today in a hard-fought game so they're hey, looking a lot better at least yes <laughs> they are looking a lot better at least for making the playoffs right and, and so i think that i would probably favor the bucks in that series especially with the way that they're playing and the fact that i don't think atlanta has the right personnel to really handle Giannis. and i don't Millsap is probably their best chance at being somebody that's truly undeniable but i think that's shaky miami would give the bucks a lot of trouble just because they're they work so hard on defense i think james johnson could have a nice series there i think i would probably narrowly favor the bucks but that's a really close call and then the pacers i i like the pacers talent i think i like the pacers talent better but they're so inconsistent like they they got housed today by memphis on the road i mean i guess they're consistent on the road they just get they just lose but i i think and and the bucks would theoretically have home court in any of these series with it with a better record correct so on talent i would say that they're probably to me they're sixth behind the Pacers but if we're saying giving them a playoff series and giving them home court yeah I'd say they're the favorite in all, all those series if you could assure me that Miami were healthy and that means Deion well, what, do you, what do you back, mean by oh Deion Waiters okay yeah, I was gonna say like if playing, you get Justice Winslow yeah no 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 I mean Chris Bosch no uh uh <laughs> no no oh. just just the yeah just the team that they that they, they have went this on the year. win streak with yeah yeah and Warriors were playing at the same level I mean I think this with this ankle you're probably going to be hard pressed to get there at this point but uh in the first round of the playoffs then I would say probably Miami I would favor them I think the Pacers just because the Pacers bench is so crappy that you know they can play those the bench less in the playoffs they they might look a lot better um the Pacers is interesting we actually should discuss some news regarding them uh al jefferson out two weeks with that ankle sprain as we talked about and then rodney stuckey suffered a strained patellar tendon over the weekend he's now out four to six weeks and you know actually it wouldn't surprise me if this were a little bit of collusion uh, that maybe he had this injury and he, he could come back but it looks better for stucky if he got released because he was injured rather than oh you know we just didn't want to pay his option uh and zach Lowe reported Stucky had a weird kind of team option where the Pacers up until a certain date could actually release him without having to pay that team option. He wasn't allowed to exercise it before the last day of the season. Now there's been some debate about exactly. Oh yeah. Did I say team option? You did. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So I I meant Stucky had a player option, but he couldn't exercise it until uh, uh, the Pacers had a chance to release him is a little unclear whether it was the last day of the regular season as there's been some reporting or some of the research that I've done indicates that the the language that has should be in there is the last day the day after the conclusion of the team season which I read to be their last playoff game but I never got a firm ruling on that the reporting has been contrary to that there could be some specific language in his contract that you know I haven't seen so I'm not sure about that but nonetheless Stucky has been released that opens up an extra seven million in cap room for Indiana this offseason. And then they promptly used four million of that. They still had some cap room left over this year to sign one 
Lance Stevenson. Mr. Born Ready is a fascinating piece to add in at this point because while it is a lot of turnover and he was eligible, he's playoff eligible because of a really weird distinction that I think the NBA needs to clarify because since he was on a 10-day contract, he was not waived after March 1st and thus he is eligible to be because he was on the Minnesota Timberwolves. I think his last game played was on the 8th of March, but he's eligible for the playoffs. Yeah, Stucky having been waived, not eligible for the playoffs, even if he were able to get healthy and and show up uh, for another team. You know, Lance, $4 million a year. I'm not sure who they were trying to outbid, but maybe they believe in him enough that they felt like, hey, he's going to play well and we can just get him locked up for what we think is a value contract or free agent dollars don't go very far. He also has a team option on the third year of that three-year, $12 million contract, $4 million this year. Uh, nice work if you can get it for just the end of the year. Uh, $4 million next year, and then uh, that $4 million team option the year after that. But, uh, I mean, there's not a ton of talent out there. They've lost Stucky. They need some more depth. But this is just another one of these guys like, hey, let's just get as many guys who can create relatively inefficiently with the ball in their hands as possible on the same team. And, you know, uh, Stevenson probably even a worse shooter than... Than Stucky, although one thing he is at least is a solid defender uh, on the perimeter. And they're going to need that. But this also does take the wind out of the sails of an idea that you had mentioned and really, I think the mock trade deadline sold me on, which was the idea of JJ Redick on the Pacers. I think that would have been a wonderful fit. And it seems even if it's only 4 million in space that's reduced now, it feels a lot less likely that that could happen now. Yeah, I mean, they could maybe try to move some money. You could even stretch someone like Al Jefferson, who only has 13 million left on his contract. You could stretch that over five years if they wanted to, because he has a, a non-guarantee, or mostly non-guarantee. I guess he has 14 million left on his contract. But yeah, I mean, I think you're right that going from 20 million to 16 million in space, that's a kind of a significant difference, actually. I mean, 20 million probably gets you a premium starter, potentially 16 million. You know, now you're maybe scrounging around for parts, trying to, you know, maybe just put together a couple of, of bench guys. Um, but it was an interesting idea. Um, all right. What's your uh, your first question for me here? We have a better sense now of how the West playoff seating is going to go. We don't know all of it, of course. But my question is, of the top three seeds, so whatever order you feel they will end in, though I think we know, who do you feel is most likely to be upset in the first round and why? Oh, I think it's the Houston Rockets. Uh, and one of them is actually, I recorded with David Locke today. It's going to come out for tomorrow's dunk on. I think actually the Jazz, if healthy, match up pretty well with Houston. Uh, I think that they can defend Harden pretty well two on two in the pick and roll with Gobert. Uh, something that the Warriors do as well and that and if you can't force help on those pick and rolls now it's a completely different animal for Houston trying to score and then uh, they really have a lot of force that they can play with against Houston you know Houston doesn't have the kind of defense that can really cause the Jazz to stagnate the Jazz has been very efficient against Houston this year so if Houston has to play the Jazz I mean I think it's really more a function uh, or Oklahoma City as well I think Oklahoma City can play well against Houston although uh not as, as well as the Jazz. I think the Jazz are a better team when they're healthy. Uh, but if they could get Favors back, get George Hill back in shape, the, the Hill didn't play today and they completely destroyed Sacramento on the road. Uh, so that I think is just, just by virtue of facing a tougher opponent that I don't think is a good matchup for them. Uh, you know, a team that's, that will have won, you know, six games fewer than they have probably, uh, you know, around there, seven games fewer. Uh, that's why I would say Houston. Uh, well, do you, do you think the Jazz have, have a realistic shot of getting there? I mean, right now they're they're three games ahead of OKC in the win column and two games ahead in the loss column. So, I mean, they're going to have to fall yeah, off. Uh, and we Locke, can... Locke told me he thinks they will be the 16. Maybe that's just pessimism uh, on his part. But but maybe, he knows but then, he, so that ties in with something he's else. He's more which plugged is, in on this schedule stuff uh, than I think yeah. either of us are as far mm-hmm. as his team and, and the teams around them would you rather be the six seed than the four for them like i think you could make an argument yeah he and i talked about that too and he was basically like you know they haven't made the playoffs in a long time like just make the playoffs get the best seed as you can and i think i think that houston just kind of theoretically is a better matchup than the clippers because the clippers have really dominated the jazz but the jazz could potentially have home court for one uh, which would be very important for a, a playoff ingenue team like them and they have a very effective home court crowd as well uh but also just you know houston's a way better team than the clippers i think at this point point. and it doesn't look like i mean the clippers have had some nice games but you, you're not
not sitting there going, oh, look, look they're so close to getting everything together. I mean, I, I they still could. I, I'm a, I'm a believer in the Clippers more than most people just because their starting five is so talented. But it's still, it's pushing it a little bit now. And I think, isn't, didn't, I, I think I heard something that Austin Rivers got hurt tonight. Not like a serious thing, but he's, but if he's off, I mean, he's not the central piece of their success, but doesn't help. Oh, actually, while we're doing this, we will, I will apologize to listeners because we ended up, we, because we were doing the Twitter NBA show second screen, we did not watch the ending and overtime of Russell Westbrook's explosion against, against Orlando. So sorry. Yeah. But yet another ridiculous Westbrook led comeback, basically single-handedly, you know, tons of usage he had 57 points and a triple double tonight uh, and uh, most points ever i think in, in a triple double and you know this again is, is why i had him as my mvp although again you know i don't think he's anywhere close to the best player in the league he's just had so many of these games where he has just completely willed the thunder back in games that they look completely out of they had nothing going on and he's just like you know what I'm just going to shoot every single time and I'm going to get us back into the game. And it's like, it's actually worked. It's remarkable. And I think this is the type of, even though it was against an opponent, you know, that isn't the most potent in the world. It was on the road. This is the type of game that can help swing the narrative in his favor because it's really hard. Like he is making... Well, in that Dallas game last night too, same thing. He is making an exceedingly unconventional MVP case, but it gets a lot easier with games like this late when there are real stakes for the Thunder. There aren't for the Magic, but there are real stakes for the Thunder. And if you juxtapose that with even, you know, Harden struggles against the Warriors yesterday, and, you know, if he still is dealing with a wrist issue, maybe then he he stumbles back a little bit. Rockets are going to be the three seed no matter what, but Westbrook can actually, you know, I, 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 you and I both feel that he's the MVP, and I know that we're on the, we're on the lower side of it right now. So I'm intrigued to see whether this two weeks, because, you know, today, is two weeks from the end of the regular season to see whether that two weeks can help turn people our way yeah and i may i'm not even guaranteeing that that's going to be my final conclusion either you know i'm going to look at it again very closely next week when we do our our final picks and i'm going to be very interested to see like what some of the other nba writers that i really respect had to say zach Lowe in particular on this i know he puts a lot of time into into this stuff uh i mean i think for mvp Kawhi is probably out of it now uh with the the Spurs chances of getting the number one seed basically over um and and the fact that he just hasn't been shooting as well from three lately I think he would have really needed the Spurs to get the number one seed to garner the attention like and have some more spectacular performances he's probably going to rest down the stretch now a lot more too so I would have to imagine that his candidacy would be harmed I still had him at number two the last time we looked at this two three weeks ago uh so I may still still have him there uh and then Westbrook you know he's going to be fighting for a playoff spot and if they could in fact somehow get to the five seed over the Jazz or if the Clippers start to free fall again and they get there I mean that really even getting to six which it looks like they're going to be probably locked into now at least that uh that's you now then start to get Oklahoma City exceeding some preseason expectations, maybe not in record, but in seed. And, and that could help the uh, Westbrook's candidacy as well. Yeah, it certainly could. I think it's your turn to ask a question. Yeah. So uh, sticking with the Bucks theme, Greg Monroe is under contract next year for about $18 million. He has a player option upon which he must decide prior to the start of free agency. If you were the Milwaukee Bucks management, would you be rooting for him to opt in or not? I think I would be rooting for him to opt in. That's a reasonable price for him. You don't have to bear any long-term concern, you know, in terms of a long-term contract. And I don't think that they would do better with that space than him, especially considering it looks like John he- John Henson isn't the answer. And yeah, I mean, Thon Maker might be, and that's entirely possible. And that would be, that'd be a great step for them. But yeah. I haven't, do you, do you have a better sense of their books right now after the, after the Hawes Hibbert trade? Yeah. So right now, if Monroe were, to opt out they would have about 10 million or so in space if they if Hawes were to opt out as well you get to 16 if they stretch Hawes they'd probably have about 14 and so they would have to move a John Henson a Toledovich a Del Vidova to really get over 20 million even if Monroe were to opt out if he opts in they're over the cap probably just looking at the full mid-level exception and with the I think you made a good point about Thon especially if he can get to be you know their starting center Monroe can come off the bench I think those two are a nice complement with Thon providing the shooting and the defense Monroe more of a scorer more of a rebounder uh you mentioned that 
I mean, if he were to opt out, they would probably be looking for another center. I mean, maybe John Henson and Thon Maker. I probably wouldn't want to go into the season with those as my as my two guys. Uh, so and they've really got pretty good depth now if Jabari comes back although that won't be till the middle of the year they uh well also they have Tony Snell as well and I mentioned that 10 million they'll probably want to keep Snell's cap hold on the book so even if Monroe opts out and they keep that his cap hold on the books that's six million so now you're basically right at the cap anyway uh so they would be hard pressed to create space and replace Monroe's talent. I I agree. I would want him to opt in. And it's it's really interesting too. Just what a difference the narrative around a team can make. Because I mean, I think statistically, certainly on the offensive end, there is not a huge difference between what Monroe did last year and what he did this year. And at the start of this year, like oh, he's they better hope he opts out. They better hope that he doesn't opt in. Uh, and now that the team has done well, I think he has improved defensively in their system for sure. He's had some nice defensive games like that Clippers game earlier this year. But no, I think uh, they should be opting for him to come in in large part because they can't replace him. Uh, in addition to the fact that, you know, especially on a one-year deal for $18 million, I don't think they can find better production. Yep. My last question to you takes a little bit of a setup, but that is, oh, I don't know the exact date, but when Miami was 11 and 30, I think was the was the number that they were at. Right. You and I, and I remember we were at Oracle together when we found out that Justice Winslow was going to be out for the rest of the year. And you and I both were a unified front in terms of saying that they should that they should pack in the season and tank. And my question to you is coming at it from only your perspective. So you don't have to say, oh, well, the franchise and ticket sales and all that kind of stuff. This has gone in a single season fashion has gone about as well as you ever could have expected. But how do you feel long term about the way this has gone? Yeah, would it have been better for them if they just tanked essentially uh, than had this renaissance? we're not going to know the answer to that until we see what they get in free agency and you really can't get the answer to that until you know what you value as a fan or what you value as an ownership i mean i think if you want them to just be a playoff team for the next two or three years and rather than just sucking uh you know this this is good for you if you if you're talking about whether you want to be a heat fan of the next two or three years i mean they're still going to have the cap space this summer they can they're not going to get a superstar probably but they at least be a little bit more in the running this has certainly uh, put more of a sheen on uh, coach eric spolstra as well the performance that he's had you know without the superstar talent uh on the roster it's been nice for, for a player like goran dragic if they ever wanted to trade him you know his trade value is way higher same thing with Hassan Whiteside as well i mean if they had tanked it what would they probably have probably like you know the the fifth pick seventh pick or something like that yeah i would say I, I, that the, I think you yeah. could say six is where i was thinking in my head yeah i think that's probably the highest they could have gotten i mean with some of what we've seen from the lakers the suns i mean they weren't getting into that into the top three i mean you know now maybe they could have won the lottery but if we assume they gotten maybe the sixth pick seventh pick I don't know that the difference between seven and 14 is or or 16 or whatever they're going to end up being. I don't think that that difference is large enough to forgo. Number one, just the joy for your fans of having another playoff season, seeing this team and and these young players all grow together. Uh, The the chance of doing better with your free agent money this offseason because they actually made the playoffs, because they weren't just tanking and having a lost season, you know, just the overall sheen on the organization. And then, you know, the fact that they can build on this and maybe even get into with a good free agent acquisition, talking about being, you know, a six seed, five seed, four seed next year for all of that. Yeah, I think it was worth it. There are two other factors that I agree with with everything you said, and I think I agree with your conclusion as well. But there are two other factors that I feel like we need to discuss here. One is the distinct possibility that this makes the heat an even more desirable destination for these kind of make good contracts. Like they have such a wonderful sales pitch now for that with Dion Waiters, with James Johnson, even with Wayne Ellington, with these sort of guys basically saying, if you get left by the wayside, you can come to us. But that ties in with the second part of this, which is the downside risk of the possibility of them overpaying more in years than dollars is my guess for what are more of these real nice success stories in a way that actually hurts them long term. I mean, Waiters is a wonderful story. He's been a great fit for what they needed this year. But if they give him like a three or a four year contract for 
too much money, I will think about the legacy of that year a lot differently than if somebody else gives him that mistake contract. Yeah, I, I think that's right. Same thing with James Johnson, who's 30 years old at this point you know you you'd have to imagine that uh, those guys may not be back well and remember tyler johnson gets more expensive after next season so if they make a mistake this year with this summer with money that's going to haunt them for a couple years probably well perhaps so but but i think this uh, the other way to look at it is this this summer is really their last chance to use cap space and so you bet might as well just use it now with johnson making 18 million a year the next two years after this one you're gonna be hard pressed to use cap space so you might as well just kind of resign these guys but the problem is to re-sign waiters you're going to have to use cap space same thing with james johnson and so there's an opportunity cost there as far as who you can get from other teams right they're used to that considering the whole hassan whiteside thing all right we are about done here thanks so much for listening to uh what was an episode that uh, i really enjoyed doing those were some fun random questions at the end thank you to our sponsors today bet dsi use the code dunk d-u-n-c 25 to get a free 25 dollar credit just for registering and a 200 bonus with first time deposits at betdsi.com and movement watches mvmtwatches.com slash capspace is your url to get 15 percent off the beautiful styled minimalism of movement watches mvmtwatches.com slash capspace look out for tomorrow where we'll have uh, david Locke on and i might actually throw in a little bit of the podcast i did today with adam morris uh uh, for his locked on nuggets but i asked him for permission to use some of it uh, on this show we talked a lot about the nuggets their future how things look now is there an unlikely playoff team in the wake of that portland loss we talked about how he was in favor of the Plumley trade and now he's kind of come around to not being in favor of it from the denver perspective uh so because i got to be proven right i'm clearly going to make sure that that we play that for you i mean who knows we'll, we'll see what happens on that but uh it, it was an interesting conversation because he he was from a local perspective uh was in favor of that didn't think that Nurkic was going to amount to anything and so it, it was fun kind of talking about his perspective and then what's going to happen with the nuggets this offseason gallinari and and what they need so uh check that out uh, on his locked on nuggets podcast or uh, i'll probably play some of it tomorrow as well in addition to david Locke. So uh, talk to y'all next time. Till then. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every basket, every game, every point, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a three-pointer at the buzzer to tie the game or a player that goes two for two at the foul line. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply.